The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word in Acts chapter 17, if you'll turn there with me. Acts, we're going to look at two passages, Acts 17, and then uh, also Genesis 1-1, as we finish out this first affirmation of faith in the Apostles' Creed. Look with me in Acts chapter 17. This is God's Word, it's the truth. And I'm going to pick up a reading in Acts chapter 17 and verse, uh, verse 16. And while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there who spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their, deter- of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance got overlooked, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now therefore, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, 
and others with them. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Well, here we are in our first affirmation of the Apostles' Creed. Now, here, here, this can help you right here. Please notice, Apostles' Creed, note where the apostrophe is. The apostrophe is not in front of the S, it's behind the S. It's not a creed from the Apostles. On the contrary, it came to us in about the second century and has been edited over the next couple of hundred years. But it, it is faithful to the apostolic teaching. And if there's anywhere, now the creed, remember, a creed is a confession to proclaim truth and to protect against false doctrine. A creed is an instrument for discipleship as it takes biblical truths around the subject and begins to teach people. And the creed is only so good as it's faithful to the word of God. There are creeds in the Bible and then there are creeds in the early church to help us understand certain areas of the Bible, many of which were under attack, like the doctrine of God and the doctrine. Of Christ. And then a creed is there to help us serve the Lord together. How can two walk together unless they are agreed? So we are agreed in it. And that's why those creeds are useful and how they're used. Now, what's interesting is this creed is a creed that is developed from the New Testament apostolic teaching on on the essentials of Christianity. Now, as I have said, and let me keep saying so everybody understands this, because I know we're in and out uh, in this season. That the creed contains essentials, but not all the essentials. Everybody, uh, every Christian I know believes more than what's in this creed, but nobody believes less. And that's why these essentials in this day that we sense God moving in the lives of his people, you can't build a superstructure without the foundation. And these essentials are crucial. And the very first affirmation is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, credo tetaeum, that I believe in God and the, the Father. Now, later it's going to say, I believe in God, the Son and God, the Holy Spirit. God is one being in three persons. You're one being in one person. God is one being in three persons. And then as one God in three persons, the Father is almighty. In other words, everything, any power you see, economic power, political power, um, uh, military power, familial power, uh, parental power, whatever power you see is always derivative. The only reason someone has authority and power is because God has assigned it to them. He is El Shaddai, Almighty. Then the uh, the first affirmation now brings us, that's where we were last week, and then the first affirmation now brings us to this. I am that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that it contains. Now remember the apostrophe? So here we go to an apostle in Acts 17, and you can see where this apostle's creed that's developed is drawing from many many texts in the New Testament. But here's one from the apostle Paul. When he finds himself in Athens, interestingly, you'll see the apostle Paul go right to power. He goes to the power of religion in Jerusalem. 
He goes to the power of commerce in Ephesus. He goes to the power of military might and political power in Rome. And he goes to the intellectual capital of Athens. He's there by himself waiting on his team to catch up with him. And he's moving around in ministry and he sees the idols and it provokes him. It does not provoke him to the anger of man and its unrighteousness. It provokes him to notice what it says to do what Peter said. Be ready to give an account of the hope that's within you in reasonableness and gentleness. And that's exactly what he does. He begins to reason with them. He's got two fishing poles. He's got a fishing pole when he goes for the Jews. Where am I going to find the Jew? Synagogue. And then when he then where am I going to find the Gentiles? Oh, the shopping mall, (laughs) the marketplace. I'll find them in the Agora. And so he goes to the Agora where they not only exchange goods, but they exchange the ideas. And there he enters into debate. He enters into debate with many of the common people, but also with the philosophers. In fact, two particular groups take an interest in him. Interestingly, in the there were many, multiple philosophies and man-made religions and philosophies in that day. But only two are ever mentioned in the Bible, and they're right here. The Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, we're going to do, I'm not going to do the deep dive here into what their philosophy was, but those are two that are identified, and he begins to converse with them. And as he's conversing with them, they say, well, we want to hear some more of this stuff about Jesus and the resurrection. This is so foreign to us. Come up to the place where we exchange these ideas. So he finds himself at a place called Areopagus. That's the mountain of Ares. That's the, that's the Greek name for the god that is called Mars. That's why it's also called Mars Hill, the god of war. And that's why he goes up on that mountain of war and ideas. And there is where they would meet. And notice what it says there exchanging truths with each other. I mean, they're exchanging ideas with each other. They come there and all they want to do is hear something new. Now, by the way, that immediately tells you something's wrong. You see, did you notice that every... Here's what you can count on this. Everybody's religious. I note that you're religious. You can also count that everybody worships. Some object they worship. Maybe a football team. <laughs> maybe a, uh, It may be a gold. It may be power. It may be prestige. But they're going to worship. We were made to worship. And we're going to worship. Now, will we worship the one true and living God in the way that's pleasing to him? Or will we worship these uh, these false gods and idolatry. That's the question that is there before them. And he says, I know you're religious. I know you're worshiping. And now you, and you've invited me because you like to hear something new. Immediately that tells you they've got it wrong and it's not working. Let me ask you a question. Did you come here today to hear me say something new? No, you came here to hear what? The old, old story. You came to sing what? The old, now we have come to have a new refreshment in it, but we don't need a new message. I need renewal, but I don't need a new message. Why? Because this was the truth. It's not an invention. It's not one of, did you hear Paul? One of human imagination. So we've come to serve God. But Pastor, didn't it just say, didn't he say he doesn't need us to serve him? No, 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 no. He he said he said this God is not served by human hands as if he needed us. You're serving him worship, but he doesn't need you. He can get it from a stone if he wants to. We're serving him with stewardship, but he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
Our service of Him is not because we're not motivated because He needs us. We're motivated because we needed Him and He has loved us. Therefore, we love Him and we serve Him, not because He needs us, but because we need to serve Him who came for us. And so then, as he, as he further develops this with them, what does he go to? Interestingly, watch Paul. When he goes to the synagogue, where does he start? Jesus. When he goes to the Gentile, like Mount, like Areopagus, and he says, this God doesn't, interestingly, I've stood there six times in my life. And the shadow of the temple and the Parthenon just falls right over top of you. This God doesn't need a temple to dwell in, built by human hands. This God builds you as his temple. This is the God of glory, not the one of gold, silver, and images. And then he says to them, he made you and everything that you see in creation. He is maker of heaven and earth. The Apostles' Creed people picked up on the apostolic teaching and they put it right up front. Now, I think you ought to find that interesting. You ought to find interesting that they not only have a biblical truth here, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, but they're also following the pattern of Scripture. Where does the Scripture start? It starts Genesis 1. So would you turn with me in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1? Would you turn there with me? And as you turn there, I want you to keep your mind, just for the moment, I want you to keep your mind for the moment back on Mars Hill, where he's with the philosophers, Epicureans, Stoics. Then there's, there's, uh, there's all kinds of every... Listen, let me put it this way. that We have this thing we call worldview. Every philosopher, every philosophy, every man-made religion is focused on answering four questions. Can I give them to you? Ready? Here's the four questions they're focused on. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Who am I? Identity. Where did I come from? Origin. Why am I here? Purpose. Where am I headed? Meaning. But here's the problem. You can't answer those four, ter- four, four questions without taking a deep dive on origin. Why? Here's where you've got to start. Every man-made religion, before they can answer those four questions, has to answer this. Why is there something and there's nothing instead of nothing? Why is there something instead of nothing? Now, you can go on to say, why is all the something working together? And we have a universe instead of a multiverse. But the beginning point is, why is there something? In fact, not only why is there something instead of nothing, how is there something instead of nothing? Now, the pagan philosophies of this age and the man-made religions answer that question in one of two ways. And I want to share it with you in opposition to what the creedal affirmation says. I don't care if you're you're in a high school class and an unbeliever is teaching who has an issue whether you believe in the doctrine of creation or not. 
I don't, professor in college, person you talk to on the street, the person you sit with at the Keurig, used to be a water, used to be a water fountain now at the office, now it's a Keurig or something like that. that I don't, whoever it is you're talking to, and you get to ask a question, why is there something instead of nothing? They've only got one of two answers. And both of them are interdependent with each other. Answer number one is space, time, and matter. There's space, the heavens, there's time, there's matter, the earth and all the stuff, and the universe, and and there's time. Space, time, and matter, here's one of their two answers. There's something, space, time, and matter, rather than nothing. Why and how? Here's their answer. It'll be one of two things. One, it is self-creating. Space, time, and matter has created itself. That there actually wasn't nothing. There was actually something, and it created itself, and then evolved into what we have now. So it is self-creating. Space, time, and matter is self-creating. So gigantic problems with that. Let me just give you one. It's nonsense. It's nonsense because we all know scientifically there's no such thing as spontaneous generation. Life doesn't just start. Life comes from life. I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you a scientific experiment. Go home on the way out of here. You'll find a dead branch. Well, I don't know. Our guys are so good trying to make a good place for you. You may not. So when you get home in your yard, like my yard, you'll find a dead branch, I guess. Take the dead branch and go stick it in the ground and tell me when you're going to start to get fruit from it. There's no such thing as spontaneous generation. So the other option is this. It's not self-creating that space, time, and matter are just self-existent. And if you give matter enough space and enough time, you get this. A universe with all of its intricacies and all of its glories. Its intricacies as you put a microscope to it. Its majesties as you put a telescope to it. That's happened from self-existent. Space, time, and matter. Now, those are the two. Now, again, I can, we can start. I, I'll just send you back to our conference last year uh, to get the tapes. But I'll just give you this one. Not only is it self-creating does not stand the test of spontaneous generation, but self, uh, self-existent. And then evolving into its maturity and its unity and its comprehensiveness and its intricacies. Well, that stands in direct opposition to the second law of thermodynamics, which is what? When you leave things alone, they don't run up, they run down. I'll give you another experiment. Go take a month vacation. You have my permission. Just go to church on Sunday. Go take a month vacation. Have a great time. And as you're on your month vacation, come back. Don't let anybody touch your house for that month. Will your lawn be cut? Will it be manicured? I'll bet you'll find a leak in the plumbing somewhere. Go check the roof. 
Things don't run up, they run down. Uh, I, you know, maybe I could get, uh, I thought about running this one by John Haynes. Let's take a piano. Open up the piano keyboards, or Daniel Kaysen or Hunter. Open up the keyboard, and then I'm going to put a rat in that keyboard. I'm going to shut it back down so the rat can run up and down the keyboard. How long will you have to sit here and listen until you hear the Ninth Symphony? You see, here's what we believe. The self-existent and the self and self-creating Here's, this, here's what they sell you. If you give enough space and enough time, then it can happen. Mutations, instead of degrading, can upgrade. And that with no intelligent life giving, that life can be created and can be sustained. Paul, in debating with the men at Areopagus, says, well, let me just quote your own philosophers. In him, we live and move and have our being. That's what Ben just sung for us. In him, we live. Are you just sung? Remember the opening hymn we just sung? Let all that hath life borrowed from him in his care. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. That's how our being exists, is because he gave us life. And we continue in that life because he sustains that life. In him we live and move and have our being. And that is what is being established. So this is my father's world. See, here's what happens. The philosophers of the age and man-made religion, now watch, they start with space, time, and matter, the creation, and then try to, with their imagination, come up with an answer to its existence. We don't. We don't have two possibilities that are actually foolishness. What do we do? We go to the Bible. And the only witness of origin tells us how and why. That God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who gives life, the one who sustains life, the one who upholds life and all that exists. In him we live, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. In him we live and move and have our being. Uh, the handbook that everyone rejoiced over when it was written by Carl Sagan was the book Cosmos. And I remember when I read it, I wanted to ask uh, Mr. Sagan, so where did the cosmos come from and how come it's a cosmos and not chaos? How come it's ordered and not disordered? So would you explain that to me? And here's his answer. He has a faith commitment. He has his own creed. Here's his creed. The cosmos, that's all there is, that's all there was, that's all there ever will be. The, the trinity, space, time, and matter, is, was, and is to be. We say, no, there was a time there was no space, time, and matter, but there was a self-existing God who is eternal, who creates 
Our Trinity is the Father who authored it, the Son who accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit who ordered it. There's our Trinity. And this God who was and is and is to come has told us not only how it's here, but why it's here. There are four great acts of God. They're all there in that Acts 17 text. Creation, redemption, providence, and consummation. And they're all Trinitarian. The Father authored the creation. Everything was created in, through, by, and for the Son. And then the Holy Spirit hovered over the creation. In redemption, the Father altered our salvation, the Son accomplished our salvation, and the Holy Spirit applies that salvation. In providence, the Father cares for us, the Son intercedes for us, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. And in consummation, the Father has ordained the day where His Son will judge the world, and the Spirit of God will bring forth those who belong to Him, to Him, those who are written in the book of life. It is Trinitarian. And in creation, it is Trinitarian. And then the opening text gives it to you. Look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, now watch, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. In fact, there's a hymn I wish we were singing right now. We just can't sing them all. We've only got an hour here today. So, uh, But the uh, another great one is what? This is my Father's world. That's what this is. And all that is in it. Made by his power and for his glory. And he is not in need of it. In fact, he existed before it. And then he, ex nihilo, from nothing, made everything by speaking it into existence. He ordered its existence. Let there be light. It is the Lord who spoke all into existence. Interestingly, as the creation is established, it says that God spoke it into existence. And initially, look at that verse one. It says that everything was without form and unfilled. Let me give you a translation. Unformed and unfilled. It's not ordered. Now watch. It exists when he orders it into existence. But he then orders what he ordered. He then brings it to order. Up when he speaks it, it is unformed and unfilled. And then the first three days of creation is forming it. The next three days of creation is filling it. Formed and filled. And the one who ordered it into existence now orders its existence. The Father Almighty 
through the Son. And the Holy Spirit is superintending this ordering of what God had ordered into existence. How did he order it? The Father brought everything into existence through the Son, by the Son, and for the Son. When Jesus spoke, then everything was made. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, through whom everything was made, for whom everything was made, then spoke it into existence. Let me take you back to Jesus at a place called Bethany. And there he's got three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus has died. And Jesus is outside the tomb. And it says that he rises up against the enemy of death. And then he faces the tomb. And what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. And at his order, the dead come to life. The one identified. It's a good thing he said Lazarus. If he hadn't, everybody would have come out. Lazarus, come forth. And the one who had died came forth. Then unwrap him. As the one who ordered him from death into life now orders him in his life that he now has given to him. So it is that God has ordered everything into existence, space, time, and matter. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. And then God orders it. And that is what divine revelation gives us in place of human imagination. And everything I've just said to you is shouted out in the creation. Can I just give you another little thing? Go home today and cut yourself. Now, you know, I'm not recommending this as a way of life. But just as a little experiment, cut yourself. Not deep and not your net. And then watch the blood flow and stop. With a clot. Twenty-nine different things have to happen in about three seconds for you not to bleed to death. And they have to happen in perfect sequence. My friends, this is not the intricacies and majesty of this expanse of creation and the intricacies and glories of the minuteness of creation is the hand of God. Well, then why don't we recognize that? I mean, if you take, I have a pocket watch, my great-great-granddaddy's pocket watch. If you were to take that and take it all apart, I probably might kill you, but, I, but we, we won't do that. But let's say you take it all apart and say, hey, don't worry about this. I know lever springs and all that. Yeah, I know it's old, but here, take all those pieces and put it in your pocket and just shake your pocket. How long would I have to shake my pocket till I hear something tick? Why is it that we look at the glory of the creation and exchange the glory of the creator for the creation itself and worship the creature instead of the creator. Why? The problem is not information. The heavens declare the glory of God. The problem is our heart. 
The heart of the problem is the heart. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And the more intelligent we are, the further the problem is manifested as we sophisticate ourselves into imbecility. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is a self-delusion. To look at the creation and deny the creator. To declare the creation self-existent, self-creating, instead of the creator who is eternal. And his fingerprints are all over it. And when it's all over it, there's three things you're going to see. Let me give them to you. I'm just going to enumerate them. Number one, this is my father's world. That means God is distinct from his creation. We're not pantheists. Is God in his creation? Yes, but the creation is not God. He is over it and he is engaged in it. But God is distinct. Let me put it this way. There was a time there was God and there was no creation. If I may speak in those terms. God is distinct from his creation. And the reason there is time, space and matter is because the God who is distinct from it ordered it into existence and then ordered its very existence. So he, this God is distinct and above and beyond all of his creation. And that is exactly what paganism and all the philosophies of man try to do. What we do is we do not start with the creation and fabricate a doctrine of origin. We start with the creator to understand his creation and why and how he made it for his glory and our joy in him. The second thing is, not only is there a, is he distinct, but there are distinctions. We have a universe, not a multiverse. And God has made things with distinctions. Just like there is one being in three persons, God has made one creation and he has put distinctions in it. Male, female, animal, man. He has made all of these distinctions, male, female. He has made um, all of the distinctions within the creation. Here's the question. What does man do if he doesn't want to acknowledge that God is distinct from the creation and that I will worship and service serve myself instead of the God who made me? What is it that Adam and we in Adam decided when Satan said you can be like God instead of answering to Satan? We already are. We're made in his image. What we really heard was we can be God with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. And what is it? That is working in our life. It is that sin nature. And the way we strike out against the distinct God is to strike out at the distinctions God has made. And instead of male and female, no, you can be whatever you want to be. I'm not talking about the adolescent issue of gender dysphoria. I'm talking about the rebellion. I will not be what you made me to be. Male and female. We strike out at marriage, one man, one woman, one life. We strike out at sexuality. Well, if you get permission, you can do anything you want to. Those are efforts 
of cosmic treason against the distinct God who made the creation for his glory by taking the creation and using it for our glory and attacking all of the distinctions that the God who made it and is distinct from it has put within it for his glory. That is our cosmic treason out of a sin nature. We are in rebellion against him. The third thing is this. Is that not only is God distinct and there are distinctions, but thirdly, God has made us as distinctive. When you get this right, now you can answer the four questions. Who am I? Imago Deo. You were made by the hand of God to reflect the image of God. Why am I here? To glorify him and enjoy him forever. How did I get here? By the presence and power of the Almighty. And where am I headed? That is a crucial question. You got two destinations. In continued rebellion against him, there's a place called hell for all eternity. Or in coming to him who came to save you. There is a new heavens and a new earth. Which, can I say it? I wrote it out so I could say it, and then I'll give you the takeaway and close in prayer. To con- in this affirmation, to confess God the Father Almighty. Please listen. To confess God the Father Almighty as maker of heaven and earth is to confess man as created in the image of God. Male and female. Not man as a cosmic accident of unexplained eruptions and mutations. But man exists as the crown of the creation. To be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion and to subdue the earth as you glorify God. And enjoy him forever. That is what we are. Do you see how why this is not incidental? Do you see why we not only attack distinctions from God. The the distinctions by God. We start to make our own distinctions. So we get our racism. And we get our violence. We get our chaos. Because we deny. That's what James tells us. How can you say you love God and then hate someone made in the image of God? One race from Adam and Eve with multiple ethnicities, yes. But this race made in the image of God. How can you do that? How can there be that and you say you love God? And then how can you in violence... Bring those acts of violence against those whom you oppose to oppress or those who have oppressed you. How can you, in the name of that violence, do what you are, uh, do what you think should be done in order to affirm who you think you are? But when you see yourself having made by God in the image of God and along with others whom God has made, now we begin to see ourselves rightly. We start to answer those four questions properly. 
But the problem is we don't do it because we've got something called a sin nature. Let me put it this way. When God spoke in creation, he spoke it and there was chaos. And then with the law of creation for six days, he ordered it. So the chaos became cosmos. Then man embraced the lie that we could be God. And now because of our sin, the creation is groaning. We have brought chaos of fracture and division and war and famine and nakedness and all of those acts. But praise God, the same God who brought the original chaos into cosmos has also provided a way for the chaos of our sin in his creation to be brought to order and cosmos in a new heavens and a new earth. And it's through the same one by whom everything was created. Through him, you can be a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has now come. So here's your takeaway. God the Father Almighty is the maker of the heavens and the earth. And all who dwell in it. And he of his own love is the redeemer of his creation with a new humanity. Those who are in Christ and Christ is in them. And they now have a new heavens and a new earth. This is astounding. God made us. We rebelled in our sin. Yet God has looked at his creation and those that are made in his image. And now God, out of an unmerited love, an undeserved love, God in this unmerited, undeserved love has sent the same one who made us to save us from our sins at a cross. And we who are captive to our sins, he goes to the cross to pay the ransom. So we are redeemed. That's what redeem means, right? To buy back. God's creation rightfully belongs to him, but it has been absconded by our sin. So a ransom's got to be paid to buy us back. If you talk to law enforcement officers who work with kidnapped situations, they will tell you one of their most difficult problems is the parent, when a child has been kidnapped, is the parents without... Don't talk to me about anything. Just tell me how much I got to pay. I'll pay it and I'll go get them. And then they try to explain. Now, listen, if you want your child back alive, it's not just pay the ransom. We got to work our way through this. But there's a drive by the parent to get their kidnapped child back. Here's God's creation and those made in his image. In justice, he could come and bring his wrath. But in grace and mercy. He sends his son to buy us back. And the one who ordered our existence is ordered to come. And he freely comes. And while we are enemies, he dies for us. You see, the illustration breaks down because you and I were not kidnapped by Satan. We were kidnapped by our own sin in Adam. 
Yet God, while we were still enemies, sent his son to a cross to pay the ransom. And then said, it's finished. If any man in Christ, he is a new creation. Pastor, I love that good news. I'm glad because that's where we're going next week. I believe in Jesus, his son. But I can't, I didn't want to wait till next week to go there. I want to tell you the Father Almighty, who through Christ made everything and ordered it by his spirit, that same Father has ordered our redemption through his son, who went to the cross to pay it. And then the one who bought us back sent the Holy Spirit to bring us back. That's good news. Let's pray. Would you take just a few moments and if you're here today, I just hope and pray. I've prayed so hard that you might not only know the importance of the doctrine of creation and the glory of God as creator and be somewhat equipped to answer the foolishness of those who would suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There's no lack of information. It's a moral problem. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness and worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. And I've wanted you to so much to be encouraged and equipped, but I've also wanted you to know this. The one who is almighty who made you is almighty in saving you. And the one through whom you were made, Jesus, and for whom you were made is the one who now saves you. That you are his and he is yours. And the spirit of God who orders the creation also orders our lives by grace. I hope and pray your heart's been encouraged and assured. And a new affection will arise to your God, maker of heaven and earth. Just take a few moments in prayer. And while they're praying, perhaps you're here today, seeking, curious. Why am I here? How did I get here? Why is everything here? I have labored to introduce to you not only God, so that by faith you can walk in the light instead of leap in the darkness. But I've labored that you may know this same God who made you, gave his son to save you. And in him, your search is over. Come to him who came for you. If you want to pray with someone, please seek me out or some one of us. Oh, God, our God, maker of heaven and earth, savior of sinners. We give you praise for in you we live and move and have our being. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.